You might be new with us today. Uh, we're into new people. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, if you're new with us, though, this series is probably new to you. Uh, over the past few weeks, four weeks to be exact, we've been in this series called uh, Truish. And I'd encourage you, if you missed any or all of the last few weeks, to go and check them out through our website or our podcast. Uh, we, we believe this is a pretty important series and, and excited for you to be a part of it with us. Again, the title of the series is Truish. Uh, This idea of what is absolute truth, is there such a thing as absolute truth, Uh, one truth for sure, and and we talk about this regularly, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Uh, there is an enemy who exists in this world today, Uh, his name is Satan, he is the great deceiver, he is the father of all lies, and he is the master of disguise, working in creative and clever ways. Uh, Watch this quick video to illustrate I don't mean to make light of Satan, but hey, if we can't laugh about stuff, we can't laugh about stuff, can we? But, uh, you know, the point is that he is the master of disguise. You know, he's, he's the big bad wolf, you know, disguised as grandma. He doesn't always work as uh, clearly and obviously as we might think. I, I was thinking, you know, I mean, his goal isn't to make everyone a satanic worshiper. I really don't think it's his goal. He, he's out to deceive you. He's out to make Christians complacent. And he's cool with that. If you can make a, a Christian complacent, that works. He, he invites people to turn their attention away from God. And, and he really looks to create confusion in this world. You know, so that there is no such thing as certainty. There is no such thing as absolute truth. You know, and to do so, I, I believe that Satan has encouraged and employed at least two schools of thought or, or two weapons uh, in this world today. We've talked about them over the past couple of weeks, two terms. And if you're, you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. The first is relativism. You know, this school of thought, this way of thinking today that has been called relativism, it's the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You know, Satan's lie is this, you know, relativism, relativism says there's no, no source to point to, there's no standard for truth. You know, there's no one source for truth in this world. You know, as Christians, we point to Jesus Christ. Uh, we point to Jesus. We believe that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He came to testify to the truth. As Christians, we point to the Word of God. The, the Word of God is, is God's very own words. It is, it is a perfect guide for us as we think about issues with morality or salvation or, or hope or, or eternal life, whatever it may be. You know, and that's not the way the majority of the world sees it today. Can we agree to that? I, I hope that we can. I mean, I think if you're living in this world, you could see that if you allow yourself to. And, and whether it be just in conversation with friends or on your campus, I mean, it's not just taking place in college classrooms. I mean, it's, it's all around us. It's the way that people process things, the way that people justify things. You know, that there's this belief that truth is evolving. It's, it's not constant. It's being redefined. What, what used to be wrong 20 years ago isn't necessarily wrong anymore. But there's another term we've talked about, another weapon employed by Satan, and it's this word subjectivism. You know, it's the belief that I, the subject, have the right to determine what is right or wrong without submitting to any moral authority outside of myself. I mean, I get to pick what's wrong for you isn't necessarily wrong for me. What's right for you isn't necessarily right for me. And and who are you to impose your beliefs on me? I can do whatever I want. I can make whatever decision I want to. Relativism and subjectivism. You know, truth is whatever you want, whatever you want. Now, what effect is, is relativism and subjectivism having on the world? Well, let me just give you one example. You know, this way of thinking, this way of processing things has led to a shift in, in, in people's core beliefs, the way that, that people think and, and act, but it's led to a major shift in, in virtues today. You know, basically, we just see this shift in, in what's most important, you know, and the church has been affected by this too. 
popular apologist Josh McDowell uh, describes it this way. I, I heard him speak at a conference some time back where he was talking about this issue of truth and relativism and subjectivism. He, here's how it's affecting people. Here's how I even see the change in the church that 30 years ago, if you approached a group of people and said, hey, what's the most popular verse in all the Bible? <clears throat> most quickly, <clears throat> excuse me, they would respond, John 3, 16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. It's not the case anymore. You know, the, the shift is even affecting the church that now more likely people are, are quickly able to say, don't judge or, or you'll be judged. You know, that, that's the most important truth. And even non-Christians will, will cite such a verse as, hey, don't you dare judge me. You know, who are you? What right do you have to judge me for what I'm doing? And, and so this verse is quickly misused to justify anything that we are doing. Well, during times when Jesus was walking on there, scholars tell us that the most important ju- uh, virtue was justice. You know, theologians say that it was justice. It was the belief that God was a just God, that sin carried consequences, you know, that there could potentially be penalties for your actions, you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth stuff. Well, today, according to McDowell, the most important virtue has become tolerance. It's tolerance. And and I'm not talking about, you know, putting up with the jerk at work or annoying Cubs fans or anything like that. You know, tolerance used to mean recognizing, you know, and respecting the beliefs of others. That was the definition of tolerance, but, but it's changed even in our dictionaries. And as Thomas Helmbach, executive VP of Lambda Chi Alpha states, I don't know who he is, but it sounds good. Here's what he says about tolerance. The new definition of tolerance is that every individual's beliefs lifestyle and perception of truth claims are equal. You know, anything goes. Your beliefs, my beliefs are equal and all truth is relative, end quote. I mean, what was he saying? Basically, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do you know, or how you live. As long as you don't hurt anyone, well, it must be okay. I mean, you can make that choice yourself. Truth is whatever you make it. Don't judge me and, and I won't judge you. Do whatever you want. You know, that's our world. That's where a majority of people hang out today. That's the way that people process. And unfortunately, and and sadly, I I think many Christians, we find ourselves in that kind of camp as well. You know, we we so quickly, you know, have this type of thinking. There there is a verse in the Bible that I think has just really blown me away this week. And as it just really captures the scope of things today, the mindset of of the world, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, just you know, hear these words for yourself. You know, Paul writes, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Basically, will reject truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. That basically it will be so easy, and what is going to happen in this world, you know, as the world continues as years go by, is that people will reject truth and instead will flock. They will find themselves just embracing whatever it is they want to hear. You know, what is it that works? Truish beliefs, whatever works for me, whatever feels right for me. You know, whatever I want, no one truth, you know, truth is evolving. It's whatever you want it to be, you know. And, and so even, you know, just looking at this, this graphic, you know, that, that we're using, you know, this idea of truth that, that so many people are living in the gray today. You know, the, this day of uncertainty and, and lack of purpose and, 
Is there any truth? Is there any one source that we can look to for hope in this world? And, and so many people living in the gray today, you know, is there such a thing as black and white truth, life-giving truth? Or are we just forced? Do we have to settle for living in the gray of all of this? You know, just figure out everything as we go. Well, I, I want to I just briefly point out <clears throat> three truish beliefs about right and wrong. And there's a pastor that's been incredibly influential to me in, in preparing for this series his name's Craig Rochelle, and, and in his particular message, he, he talks about, you know, these truish beliefs, the way the world thinks about right and wrong today. You know, that this is the mindset of many in the world, and maybe you, maybe, maybe you. These are their truish beliefs, and if you're taking notes, just write these down. I mean, here's just a common belief in the world today, and number one is that I'm not a bad person, that, that I'm not a bad person. You know, I, I don't rob little old ladies. <clears throat> I'm not a chainsaw murderer or anything like that. And so I'm not a bad person. I might have some simple flaws, you know, here and there or whatever. But when it comes down to it, uh, you know, I'm not a bad person. And then, you know, we, 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 there are tools that we use to kind of justify this. We, we might compare ourselves to someone else. And, and so we'll, you'll, you know, we'll say, well, hey, I, I never cheated on my spouse, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't cuss nearly as much as that guy. And so we compare. Or, you know, maybe we repackage, you know, and so, and so instead of saying pornography, it's adult entertainment, you know, it's not really gossip, uh, it's a prayer request, you know, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm not cheating on, my, it's true, it's true, folks, I've probably done it, uh, I'm not cheating on my taxes, I just have an opposition to that particular law, you know, so I, I'm making some changes here, you know. And the second thing is, is, since there is no such thing as absolute truth, the common belief is that you have no right to tell me how to live. When it comes to right or wrong, you have no right to tell me how to live. I mean, who do you think you are to judge me? I'm not hurting anyone. God is a God of love. He's a forgiving God. We all wind up in heaven anyways. And so who are you to tell me how to live? And the third thing is really a result of the first two. That if you bring the first two together, what it yields, the result is, you have no, or I can justify doing anything I want to. I'm not a bad person. You have no right to tell me how to live. I can justify doing anything that works for me. You know, I'm not bad. You can't tell me how to live. Therefore, I can justify this. And, and I just think that this is where a lot of people live today. And this is, you know, a way that we validate our actions, the decisions and choices we make. And, and so we do it like this. You know, we'll say, well, so, so what if we're living together? It's for financial reasons. You know, I mean, this, this just really helps. You know, it just makes sense. Or, you know, we're married in our hearts you know, or just kind of, you know, testing this out to make sure that it works. Or, or who cares if I wasn't completely honest on my expense report? You know, I've done a lot for this company. I've got a little bit coming to me. And, and so I, I, can, I, I can fib this a bit. You know, it's not a lie. It's a white lie. You know, I, I can make some adjustments here. Or I, I can watch what I want. It doesn't influence me. Or, or, you know what, we made it 10 years. You know, our friends only made it five. And so this works. I've been, you know, pleasing others all of my life. It's about time that I do something in life that makes me happy. You know, I'm going to take the responsibility in this for once. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and all this is new to you and maybe a little weird to you or something, I want you to know this. I'm not frustrated with you. Uh, this really isn't even for you. I, I don't have a rub against you. If, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in salvation or heaven or hell, I mean, you really do. You've, you've got the freedom to do as you choose and to make your own decisions and, 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 uh, and consider whether you're okay with that or not. But for Christians, you know, for me, you know, for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, I just think there are way too many examples today where we don't get it. 
You know, we, we miss it. You know, we, 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 we live like this. You know, we say, I'm not a bad person. You can't tell me how to live. I can justify anything that I'm doing. And so we claim Jesus and, and we're all about the love stuff and we're all about the heaven talk. But I just see way too many examples today where we show, you know, little to no desire to put any emphasis on anything that looks like godly living. Where we truly say, you know, I understand the life that I have been called into by Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to go after it. I'm going to take what Jesus has invited me into and I'm just going to consider it as truth. And I'm going to do what he's told me to do. I'm going to live the way that he's called me to live. But for so many, it's like, God, you have Sunday. You, you can have Sunday or you can, you can have Sunday morning at least, but, but the rest of the day and the rest of the week, you know, that is mine. These are my choices. I, I can do what I want. Stay out of my personal business. And so we want Jesus. We're all about Jesus, but we deny truth with, with our lifestyle and, and our actions and, and even our words at times. And, and the sad reality is this, that there are so many emerging generations, young people following us today that, that are living this way, that have this mindset, this mindset that says, my spiritual life is over here, neatly packaged in this particular compartment, that, that I, can, I, I can get things from it as needed, but the rest of this life is my life to do as I please. Who are you and what right do you have to tell me the way that I can or can't live? And, and, and so it's whatever works for me. It's my life. It's about me, me, me. It's about what I want and what I need. And, and what we fail to realize, it's all a part of Satan's little clever game. It's all a part of his disguise. Uh, he just wants you to turn your back on truth. You know, he, he doesn't need to be, you to become a satanic worshiper, just become complacent. He, 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 he doesn't need you to, you know, do all these crazy things in your life. He just wants you to reject truth, you know, to deny truth because he knows that if he can lure you far enough away from truth that maybe there'll come a day where you'll look back and not wonder or, or not know where you came from or what to even point to anymore. You know, where does it all lead? Well, in week one, we looked at Romans chapter one and and the writer here, Paul here, he describes a, a people, a group of people who exchange the truth of God for lies. You know, and Satan is the father of lies. It's like God has offered us the Ruth's Chris, you know, porterhouse. You know, Satan offers the chicken tornado from Speedy Mart, all right? You know, and it's right there. And we continually take the chicken tornado from Speedy Mart rather than, you know, the porterhouse steak that, that, that God has offered to us. You know, the truth. And here's what God says results from a world where people reject truth and instead embrace the lies of Satan. This is what we get. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, this is truth in their life, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Does it sound familiar at all to the world that we live in today? 
where the greatest message of all is that God has made a way in Jesus Christ. The truth is that God has provided a way back to him through Jesus. And and that truth, that message, that invitation is for everyone. But you get to receive it. God doesn't force it upon you. He will never force you to love him. You get to make that choice for yourself. But God has offered this life through Jesus, but we reject we reject it. We, we take the chicken tornado, you know, rather than the Ruth's crisp porterhouse, you know, that God has offered to us. And we continually choose the lies and the myths of Satan. And for too many Christians, it's become God. I realize, and maybe I've heard or will acknowledge what it is that you have said, but I am going to make the decision to live the way that I want to live. It's about me. It's about what I need. It's about what I want. Do you remember um, the Where's Waldo books? I, I think they're still out there. I'm pretty sure they are. I, my, my kids actually have looked at them. I don't think we own any. But uh, I think I was in high school when those became really popular and my little sister, you know, looked at them all the time. But you, you, if you know what I'm talking about, Waldo's this goofy-looking guy and he wears like a stocking cap and uh, glasses and then he wears like a red and white striped shirt and, and blue pants and the way the book works, the way the game works is, you know, you open the book, two-page spread, you know, this animated picture, and there are like hundreds if not thousands of little characters all over the page, and you've got to find Waldo. I mean, he's in there somewhere. You know, you just have to find him. And if that gets you excited, then you can spend all day, you know, looking for Waldo in this particular book. But he's in there. You just got to look. And you got to look really hard. Do you know what makes me sad? That if you drew a, a picture of a particular or a particular population of people today, in most situations, you'd have to look really, really, really hard to find a Christian. And I'm guilty of that. I mean, we're all kind of like Waldo a little bit, you know. We're in there. You can find us. I mean, you look really, really hard. You, you might find a Christian in there. He's in there. She's in there somewhere. But the sad reality is that in so many situations, we just often blend in. Don't we? I, I'm guilty of blending in. You know, we, we blend in, we blend in at work, we blend in at our neighborhood, we blend in in our schools. But get this, as Christians, we're not called to blend in. We're not called to blend in with the rest of the world. We're called to stand out in a positive way, making a positive contribution in this world. We're called to be light in this world. Light makes a difference when it appears and shows up in the darkness. You can tell it's there. We're called to be salt in this world. You know, salt, you know, preserves. Salt prevents decay. That's what we're called to be. You know, we're called to bring grace and truth to this world. We're called to share the love of Christ with others. We're called to be Jesus in our neighborhood. We're called to be Jesus in our workplace. We're called to be Jesus, you know, in our schools and on our campuses. What does this world need right now? I'll tell you what I think this world needs right now. I believe this world desperately needs followers of Jesus Christ who embrace truth with their life and then it can be seen in their words and in their actions all at the same time. That we say, you know what, we're just so crazy enough, we're just so radical enough that we're going to follow exactly everything that Jesus is called to and we're not going to blend in in this world. 
We're going to make a difference in this place. And here's the thing with it. Not everyone will like it. And you'll probably, and you might lose some friends over it if you decide to go after this. But the world needs followers of Jesus who embrace truth with their life and with their actions and show grace and truth and love in everything they do. You know, Genesis Church, get this. God, God is ready and able to do even more incredible things than he has already done in this place. Do you know what he's waiting for? Not for some more money. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for your heart. He's waiting for my heart. And when he knows that he's got our heart and we're willing to embrace him as the truth, as we're willing to embrace Jesus as the way and the truth and the life in every aspect of our life, in every environment, I believe God will blow this place up. He'll do some incredible things in your life. He'll do some incredible things through our church and people will come to know him. And people will come to know him in Noblesville and Carmel and Westfield and Arcadia and in Castleton. You name it, God is ready and he's able and he's willing to do some phenomenal things. You know, people are searching for the truth today. They, they may tell you they're not. They may say they don't agree with truth anymore, but they are searching. They are searching for answers. We've got the answer. We've got the answer. We, we know the truth. And I say that with confidence, and I'm not ashamed in it whatsoever. We have the truth and the message for this world. You know, we can help people find their way back to God. But you and I have to first be willing to embrace truth confidently in our lives and then go live as if Jesus, you know, were living through us. I, I want to give you just a couple of black and white truths that I believe are critical that we get. You know, that these are essential. They, they begin with us. If, if anything is going to happen for change in this community, you know, or in this world, you just have to say, you know what, I'll take personal responsibility in it. It, it begins with me. And so these are, these are truths that I think we have to know. Our world desperately needs these truths. The first one is this, the first truth, that you and I are dead without God. We, we are nothing without God. We are, we are absolutely nothing. I mean, you were dead before you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I was dead before I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I just, I, I think we forget, we, we don't realize the full extent of what Christ has done for us in his death and his resurrection. You know, we're guilty of minimizing it. We fail to realize that we are nothing without Jesus, that without Jesus, you and I are sinful in the eyes of God. You know, there, there is nothing that you and I can do on our own to change this. You know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You, know, you and I are dead without Jesus. You know, we, we are bad people. And if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before and you're here today and you claim to be without sin, you are living a truish lie. You're living a truish life. You, you are deceiving yourselves and, and the truth is not in you, as scriptures say. And some of you are here today, you know, and, and you are lost and, and you are completely lost and you need to be found. You know, some of you are here today and you grew up in the church, you know, and that just, that doesn't cover it. You know, I mean, you are lost and you need to acknowledge that you are lost. Well, guess what? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. That was his mission, to seek and to save the lost. And if you are lost right now, whether you're willing to admit that or not willing to admit that, you have to first be willing to admit that you're lost in order to be found by Jesus Christ. You've got to be willing to admit that in your life. You've got to be willing to acknowledge what sin has done, that sin has separated us from God. The Bible teaches that we were all born with this sin condition. We were born with this stain on our lives. You know, again, that sin separates us from God. And you don't just automatically get covered, you know, by Christ's death because of some blanket insurance policy or something that covers everything. You know, again, God does not force his love upon you. You make a decision to receive you know, the love of God, you know, Jesus Christ into your life. And, and it's not based on performance. You know, the crazy thing is that you can't earn it. 
for yourselves. It, it's a free gift. You know, Jesus is our way back. This is an invitation that he's offered to us. It, and it's you and I realizing our need for Jesus, that Jesus has made a way for us through his death and resurrection that we can find our way back to God because of Jesus and because of Jesus. And, and that is the greatest truth and the greatest message. You know, for Christians, you know, you're here, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, sin is an ongoing problem. You know, it no longer separates us from God, but it sure gets in the way of our relationship with him. You know, it can tarnish our relationship with him. Uh, it, it can kind of mess things up in your life. You know, but I believe that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that you are saved by grace. You know, it's not a works thing, which just simply means because it's a free gift, you know, you, it, it won't just slip away from you because you've had a bad week or something. You know, it, it's a gift that we can all embrace and feel confident in. But let's not allow the free gift, you know, to give us permission to live as we please either, you know, to live recklessly in this world. I, I just think that as followers of Jesus, we do well to come back to this truth once in a while, the truth that says, I was nothing without Jesus. I am dead without Christ. But amazing grace, you know, how sweet the song that, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I mean, he, he moved us from death to life. I mean, what would happen in your life if you truly embrace the truth that you are dead without Christ, you were dead without Jesus, but he has sacrificially surrendered his life for you so that you may have life. There's no greater act of love than what Jesus did and what he's made available to every one of us if we just take it. The second truth is, and we've already kind of alluded to it, and that is that you are made alive through Jesus I mean, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. And that is a truth that you can cling to and hang on to forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent Jesus and made Jesus sin for us so that he was sacrificed, so that the payment of sin would be paid and no longer would death be the punishment but life could be the free gift to all, to those who would receive it. We've been made right with God when we surrender our lives to Jesus. You know, I, I can promise you this, that you can find forgiveness in this world, that you can be forgiven, that you can have hope and you can have eternal life by surrendering your life to the only truth of this world, and that truth is Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that he will purify us, that he, he will cleanse us, he will make us right, and he will change us. That, that God has promised that he will change us and transform us. And, and this goes for anyone. You know, not just for those sitting here today, but the people of this world. The greatest message, the greatest truth for this entire world today is that Jesus can bring us back to life. That he can give us life, that he can give us hope if we just be willing to receive it. You know, what, what do I need this morning? What do you need this morning? What, what does our world desperately need this morning? I, th I think it's part of it summed up in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow 
repentance, meaning I, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to turn away from the life that I'm living and instead turn or return back to living for Jesus. You know, that's what I need. You know, this verse says very clearly what you need. Here's what I know. Here's what I believe that God has laid on my heart as we wrap up this series here today, that the problem of this world today isn't so much sin. That the problem of this world today isn't so much Satan. The problem of this world today isn't necessarily this breakdown in theology or sound doctrine or in truth. You know what the problem of the world today is? It's me. It, it's me and, and my self-centeredness and my self-absorption and, and my selfish ways of living and in my attitude of it being all about me and me and me and me all the time. You know, and, and somehow wanting to remove God from his place in my life to where I'm the center. It's what I want and what I need. It's a pride issue. I believe the greatest challenge that, that you might be facing today, that the people of this world might be facing today, is the issue of pride. Because we've made it way too much about me. Relativism is all about me. Subjectivism is all about me. It's what I want. It's what I need. What, what effect, what impact would godly sorrow that leads to repentance in your life, acknowledging this morning that, yes, I've been living this me life, what great impact could that have on you to set that aside today and say it's not about me? It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'll close with this. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a, the tabernacle. And if you've read Old Testament stuff or grown up in church or Sunday school, you've maybe heard them referred to as the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this this portable tent camp of sorts that was set up as the people of Israel were moving from Egypt all the way to the promised land. They'd, they'd set this up wherever they camped and then the people would camp around it. it. It was the presence of God on the earth as the people knew and understood it. This is before Jesus, all right? God establishing his place, his presence in their lives. And so they'd set up this holy place everywhere they went and people would camp around it, and people would come there for forgiveness. Uh, they'd come there looking for salvation, looking for hope, looking for answers to lots of different questions. And it was believed and determined through Scripture that within the very center of the tabernacle was this place called the Holy of Holies. And the, the, the rule of sorts with the Holy of Holies was this. Only the priests were able to enter the court nearest the Holy of Holies because it was believed that the presence of God was there. And only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies, and that was even one time a year. But the thing was this, that when given the opportunity to go into the presence of God, these priests, they couldn't just rush in. You know, it wasn't like they could just barge right into God's office whenever they had a question or whenever they needed to be forgiven or something and just expect God to respond. No, there were very clearly spelled out rules of this is the way that it works. Here are the procedures. You just don't barge into God's presence. It's just, it's Old Testament stuff and, and more stuff than we can get into today. But I, I found it interesting. My wife and some friends from our connection group, uh, the ladies are going through this Bible study right now where they're studying the tabernacle. And my wife doesn't think that I listen to her sometimes, but I was listening the other night as she was describing her study to me. And it was about the bronze basin that's talked about in Scripture 
that was just outside of the Holy of Holies where the priests went uh, to cleanse themselves before going before God. They, they had to ceremonially cleanse themselves in order to be able to stand somewhat right before God. And, and there was water in the bronze basin, and, and it was a big one, uh, much bigger than this, and not just something they picked up at an antique shop, you know, somewhere out in the middle of the desert or something. I mean, they made it, they constructed it. And, and what we learn about this particular basin is this, and it's really pretty fascinating. It was constructed from the mirrors, the, the wealthy uh, women uh, amongst the Israelite camp. They had mirrors of sorts, and they gave these as offerings uh, to build the bronze basin, these mirrors. So, so guess what happens? Every time a priest goes to the water to ceremonially prepare themselves to go before God, they look down into the water, and they don't just see water, but they see a mirror. And so ultimately, they see a reflection of themselves. And before they ever go before God, they're forced to face the reality of of who they're not. That they are sin, that they are dead, that they are nothing without God. When you look in the mirror, what kind of person do you see right now? Uh, Maybe you see someone you don't like. I'm talking about you. Because I think here's our problem. Here's my problem. When When I look in the mirror sometimes, it's way too much about me, 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 me. And here's what I think I need in my life. Here's what I think you need in your life. Here's what the world needs today. We need to look in the mirror. And we need to see Jesus. That he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that uh, maybe each of us right now, wherever we're sitting, kind of in our minds can go before a mirror of sorts and just ask, what, what do I see today? Is it me, me, me? Or is it Jesus? Or a greater need for Jesus? You know, God, I, I pray that we would know the truth in the world, uh, in this world today, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that you have made Jesus available to each of us so that we can live in your name freely in this world. May, may we be people who don't just simply blend in in this world, but may we know the truth, see the truth, and live the truth as we are continually reminded of Jesus' great love and sacrifice for us. God, would you work in our hearts right now in this place? You know, would you continue your work? Would you begin your work? Would you complete your work right here? You know, for those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus but, but are realizing that they have drifted from you and it's been about me, 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 God, would you, would you speak in their hearts right now? Would you help us to see our great need for repentance and confession? You know, as we go before this mirror of sorts and see self-centeredness and ungodliness or sin or rebellion, God, may we find peace in knowing that you see it all. You know, and as you have promised, that if we confess our sins before you, you know, the promise is true and clear and right that you will forgive us and that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You always forgive us, God. And so, God, open our eyes to see this truth today. We confess our sins to you. We, we turn from sins and we are reminded of Jesus and his great love for us. Well, thank you for Jesus. 
God, set us free this morning so that we can live in the name of Jesus, that we can embrace truth and live truth in this life confidently. We thank you for Jesus. God, I I realize that some are here this morning and maybe you're a little confused or concerned about their place in life. I, I just pray that right now in this confusion, you would bring clarity, that there would be no doubt about it whatsoever, that you are a God of love and that you sent Jesus into this world to solve the problem of sin and to rescue us from death and to help us find our way back to you. And, and I just pray right now that, that some are hearing this and realizing this, maybe for the first time. And, and so we can't miss it. You know, with every head bowed here this morning, you know, it, it might be a bold move for some of you. You had no idea you were going to do this when you came today. But, but with every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to invite him to be the Lord, the King of your life today, would you just raise your hand up right now so that I can pray for you this morning? Don't do it for me, but just do it for you. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, you know, do that right now so that I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. you. You can feel confident in the decision you made. What a great celebration. This morning, you can call on the name of Jesus and receive his love and forgiveness. Would you pray this prayer with me? Just, just pray this prayer wherever you right now are right now in your own words. Jesus, take over my life. I surrender every bit of it to you. Be my king. Be my savior. I give it all to you. And God, we give you all of the praise and we give you all of the glory and we thank you for new life. We thank you for these decisions made here today. We celebrate them as a church. We, we thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. May we continually be reminded of your great and your unending love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.